It's your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. My goodness, so much to get to today. A lot of Vikings content, of course, as we usually do on Tuesdays during the NFL season. Andrew Kramer will join me in a little bit to talk about that Vikings defense that keeps getting torched five straight games um, with more than 400 yards allowed and what sounded like a thin vote of confidence to um, on Monday from Kevin O'Connell, head coach, in regards to uh, Ed Donatel and how they can fix all of this. I'll play that uh, that from uh, Kevin O'Connell before we talk to Andrew Kramer. Uh, Keith Rashad joins me, too, for award-winning Vikings poetry. Uh, Gophers volleyball team named a new head coach. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. The Timberwolves are a mess, can't defend, can't defend. The three in particular guards have been awful. It's a dumpster fire in that regard. Uh, Wild won a game, looked looked good doing it, so they're kind of uh, kind of getting their season resurrected, getting their season back on track. So, you know, <laughs> there's, there's so much to talk about. Like I said, first, though, we're going to start, what did I miss with the Twins? Got a uh, new catcher, Christian Vasquez, three-year, $30 million deal, was with the uh, Red Sox for a long time, was with the Astros after the trade deadline, won a World Series ring uh, with, with, with Houston. And I think this is pretty significant. You know, the dollar figures aren't, uh, you know, aren't all that significant. Three for 30 these days is, is, a, is a commitment, but it's not like the big numbers being floated around for a lot of these other players. But, uh, but what, what is significant, though, is that this shores up an area that became kind of a sneaky problem last year, right? With, with Ryan Jeffers out for so much of the season last season with an injury, with the Mitch Garver trade before the season started as they kind of played musical chairs with a lot of their other um, a lot of their other position players ending in the Josh Donaldson trade. Um, you know, catcher was a real problem last year. I know they were beset by injuries at a lot of different places, and Vasquez should, you know, in tandem with Jeffers, and probably, you know, more so than Jeffers. I mean, you know, you pay someone three years, thirty million dollars. That's that's your prohibitive starter. That's that's the guy you think is going to play, you know, probably a sixty percent of the games. Um, you know, you don't have like a, a classic left-handed, right-handed platoon here because they're both right-handed hitters. But I'm um, just reading from Phil Miller's story. Vasquez has caught 519 of his team's 870 games behind the plate since 2017. That's the seventh most in baseball. And that's, that's pretty significant. This is a guy who's been a steady starting catcher in this league. Had a breakout offensive season in 2019. With uh, 23 home runs the year when everybody was <clears throat> when everybody was hitting home runs might have been a juiced ball. Um, I think we're finding, I think we're figuring that out. But ever since then, and even even during that time, he had a reputation as being a very good defensive player, but not an automatic out at the plate. So just a solid player um, that 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 they've been able to sign here. You know, Twins catchers hit 197 last season, so that piece of it you know should give them some stability here. Uh, more than anything, you know, not again, not a superstar player. This is not the Carlos Correa signing or some other, you know, big splash signing. But this is a player who should help them in 2023 and beyond. And so that part of it feels significant to me. So that was the good news. You ready for the bad news? The Timberwolves are once again um, a dumpster fire. They're, they're, they they can't defend the three-point line. Lost again to Portland on uh, on Monday night. Rudy Gobert... He of the controversial liking of the Elon Musk Anthony Fauci tweet um, had 20 rebounds. Good for good for good for Rudy. Nobody else on the team had more than four in that game. Jaden McDaniels played 28 minutes, 
two points, one rebound, one assist. How do you play 28 minutes in the starting lineup and have that finishing line? Anthony Edwards, terrible in this game. 17 points, a minus 25. He had two rebounds. Nobody else on this team is consistently rebounding the basketball. They got killed on the boards again, 54-37. Gave up 11 offensive rebounds. Um, Let Portland shoot 21 for 46 from three-point range. And, you know, I get it. Sometimes a team's just going to make shots on you, and Dame Lillard was on fire on uh, on Monday nights, 11 of 17 from three-point range um, before sitting out pretty much the entire rest of the fourth quarter as that game turned into a blowout, 133 to 112. But this is more than just a one-game problem. Before this game started, the Wolves were, had the, were the fourth worst in the NBA at opponent three-point percentage and were the fourth worst at opponent three points made. Those two things in tandem, you don't usually think you don't usually see those two things in tandem because if a team is shooting a high volume, usually the percentage will go down, right? Or if a team is shooting a high percentage, the volume won't be that great. They've got volume and they've got uh, they've got they've got the numbers to back it up. So the Wolves are giving up about nine or ten points every game in three point shooting deficit. They're they're outclassing teams on two pointers, but that is a hard way to live when you're trying to you know match teams scoring wise. And you're getting two at a time; they're getting three at a time, and that's what a lot of what was happening on uh, on Monday. And that you know that goes beyond a problem of how do you you know how do Cat and Rudy Gobert play together once they're healthy. This is a guard problem. It's been a problem all year. It's been a problem all year that their guards just have not been defending. And this is really where you know say what you want about Patrick Beverly if you weren't a huge Pat Beverly fan in some ways last year, and I think a lot of you were Pat Beverly fans. You know he was. He brought a certain energy. He brought a certain willingness to not only rebound but hold everybody accountable and to say, I want to guard the best perimeter player on the other team. I don't see a single player on this roster right now who wants that assignment nor can accept that assignment, and that is a big piece of what's going on here right now with the Wolves, who are now 13-14, and 14, tumbling in the Western Conference. You know, it looked like they got maybe an initial jolt after Towns went out. People kind of rallied and started to... Uh, you know, started to play a little bit better as a unit, as a group. Uh, that went out the window with these two losses to Portland, where they just cannot defend the perimeter. Um, so I don't know how it gets better at this point. I don't know what personnel moves you can make. I don't know what lineup changes you can make. I don't know if there's a schematic change that Chris Finch can make. But right now, they are in big, big trouble with their perimeter defense, and I don't see a way that that gets better. Before we get to Andrew and Keith with our poetry section, um, let's let's talk quick about uh, what Kevin O'Connell said on Monday. He was asked directly if he would consider taking away play-calling duties from uh, defensive coordinator Ed Donatel. Let's play that quote, and then let's play again right after that from uh, from Kevin O'Connell. Ways that he could imagine trying to uh, trying to improve a defense that's been you know basically fallen to last in the NFL. You know, you're always looking at things that you think might be uh, what uh, could be a possible answer to help uh, the guys play uh, play better and, and be more consistent. But as of right now, no, uh, not something that I'm considering. Um, there's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of things on the table as far as uh, whether it be personnel-based, whether it be schematics-based, um, changing things up, changing some looks, you know, being a little bit more aggressive at times, uh, just picking our spots defensively to – uh, put our players in situations to be aggressive and 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 try to make some plays. Uh, I think we've thrived this year uh, when we've been able to turn the football over and and be around the football, uh, try to affect the quarterback with our rush, um, finding ways to do that, different ways to do that. 
is something we've got to take a, a long look at. So we're not quite in schism territory, as Andrew and I will talk about here in a minute. But that does not sound good. This is a team that's 10-3. and they got to figure this out down the stretch. Otherwise, it's going to be a very quick trip, uh, quick trip to the playoffs and out for the Vikings. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, it's film review time with Andrew Kramer. Joins me every Tuesday here on Daily Delivery. Of course, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Andrew, um, the the big thing I think to take away from this Lions game, which was, I believe, the fifth straight game where the Vikings have given up at least 400 yards. And, you know, credit to them. They're, they're still three and two in that span and hadn't given up a ton of points in, in all of those games. You know, had had successfully done the bend but don't break thing in, in some of those at least but <clears throat> you know it seems to be problematic at this point sustained enough now where they're just they're week in and week out the defense is not getting stops not always getting pressure and in this game not getting any turnovers when you add all that up it's going to be a, a struggle and kind of the the answers to fix it might not be completely obvious but it seems like Kevin O'Connell the head coach at least would like to see uh, a little bit more pressure, maybe a little bit more tight coverage, just a little bit more aggressiveness um, from that side of the ball. What were you seeing and hearing on on Sunday and then again into Monday? Yeah, Kevin O'Connell probably made his most pointed public comments about the defense. And we've heard him talk in the past about how um, there's certain adjustments they can make in coverage. And, you know, I think uh, at one point, Patrick Peterson even mentioned less air in the coverage and O'Connell agreed with him in terms of just not playing so far back, so far off. Um, that kind of stuff continues to be something they they tinker with. And O'Connell said yesterday, he he started with the pass rush. He said, we need to get more rush somehow. He said, however we do it. And that remark, however we do it, I wouldn't overlook that because I think there could be some differences behind the scenes about how they do it. Um, O'Connell talked about blitzing more, but Ed Donatel, that's just not the philosophy of how this scheme typically runs. Um, but they've got assistant coaches on the staff that coming from Green Bay and, and um, Mike Smith, the edge rusher coach, Mike Pettin as well, the former defensive coordinator there, coming from staffs that have designed pressure packages and blitz pretty well in the past. And so it'll be interesting to see how they adjust moving forward if they get some of those guys more involved in drawing up some of that stuff to use. Um, because they, boy, they had no answers against the Lions. They didn't, the Lions did not punt after the second quarter. Wow. That's amazing. Now, and that's, you know, and, you know, some of it's got to be credit to Detroit. Their offensive line had been playing pretty well. They've got skilled position players. They've got the kinds of they've got the kind of offense that can give the Vikings problems. Obviously, Jared Goff, not a mobile quarterback, and that's going to hurt any team. But just they the get the ball out relatively quickly. The yards after the catch stuff. This this was going to be a test no matter what. And you take Harrison Smith out of the equation. You're working cam dantzler back in in the secondary and that was going to be a question but the, yeah the disappointment is probably the inconsistency of the pass rush and in this game just the, the flat out inability to get much going there at all and you know one of those players who who didn't do much on uh on sunday and and who you know that's been kind of a recurring theme this year is is daniel hunter and you just kind of wonder this late in the year if you know if this scheme change is really 
not been the thing for him. I was just looking at his like, <clears throat> you know, when he was healthy and obviously earlier in his career pre-injury, but even 2021 when he was healthy, his pressure rate was higher than it is right now. His pressure rate's like 10% um, on, you know, on, on pass plays. That's not great. Like that's not an elite level. Like Zadarius Smith is getting, still getting a lot of pressures uh, as a, you know, as a rule, but they're just not getting that, that consistent pressure. And if you're not getting it from Daniil Hunter, uh, that, that's a, that's going to be a tough one for the whole defense. I, yeah. And what's obvious when watching these games back and even just watching them live is offenses are scheming around those two guys, sure. right? Like the, the Vikings don't have a Quinn and Williams. They don't have, you know, I talk up Dalvin Tomlinson and he is above average as an interior rusher, but he's not a game wrecker. He's not a game changer up the middle. So teams don't have to worry about that too much. So you're seeing constant chips. You're seeing tight ends off, off the edges. Um, you're seeing running backs chipping them off the edges. You're seeing additional linemen at times getting after Hunter and Smith. And then you were seeing, as you mentioned, them get the ball out very quickly. Uh, I went back and looked at how quickly opposing quarterbacks have been getting the ball out against the Vikings over their last few games. Uh, Goff was the 12th fastest on Sunday. Mike White was the eighth fastest that week. Mac Jones was the seventh fastest that week. Dak Prescott was the 12th fastest that week. And those four weeks are really when the pass rush has gone dormant. And each time those quarterbacks were at the bottom in terms of being pressured uh, among quarterbacks for the, for that given week. So the Vikings just aren't generating it. Opponents know it. They're getting the ball out to neutralize it. They can't cover. They are not tackling at times to stop those passes that are getting out. And with Daniil Hunter, I have a theory and I, I want to run this by him. Um, certainly before I would write about it, but I wonder 2020 and 2021, those were supposed to be the years that he became the guy. Right. 2019 was Everson Griffin's last year. 2019 was Everson Griffin's last year on top sure. in terms of being the guy that uh, offenses paid attention to. And I remember when Andre Patterson was here, he talked a lot about going into 2020 and 2021 about how Daniel is going to have to make an adjustment. Teams are going to pay attention to him. They're going to treat him like that star. And it is a kind of a coming of age period for guys to get used to that. How do you beat it? Um, I saw last night, even in the Dolphins Chargers game, there was a, a point where one of their edge rushers for the Dolphins got chipped, recognizes the chip, and he has just one of those Everson Griffin-like spin moves inside to beat two people. And I'm not seeing Daniil counter and react in those ways against this extra attention in ways that you see star edge rushers like Zadarius Smith do. Zadarius is used to being the guy. Zadarius was the guy in Green Bay, the guy in Baltimore. Um, this is not new to him, and the defense is not new to him. I think there's a lot new to Daniil and he's only played. He only played in the two years before this, those seven games to try to adjust to being the guy. And of course it was in a different defense. And now the Vikings got two of those guys and offenses are treating them as such. And, and you are seeing their production get um, neutralized because of it. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, Zadarius Smith, he had, he's got 70 total pressures this year in 411 pass rushes. So, you know, like 17, 18% of the time, Daniil, like I said, 49 in in more attempts i think that daniel's got 49 in his uh in his 461 pass rush snaps but if you look at zadarius i mean a lot of his production came earlier in the season he's still getting some some pressures but he's only got one sack in his last six games he had that that kind of flurry in the middle of the season against you know new orleans uh chicago miami arizona where he had seven in four games and he's only got one since then, that was against Buffalo, so zero in the last four games. Um, you do wonder at some point, you know, he's he's been battling a little bit of a knee. 
Uh, but when you you do that and you got Daniil Hunter, kind of the same story, he's got, you know, two sacks in his last five games and none in his last two. I mean, if those are your premier rushers and they're not really getting home um, and then you're not getting the others kind of, you know, if you're only rushing for a lot of the time, if you're not able to still cover and you're still going up a lot of those splash plays that you're trying to limit, like, it's just like, what are you doing well at that point? Yeah, yeah, you're not bringing together. Coaches always talk about the rush and the coverage. You're not doing either of them very well at that point. And certainly they're more talented right now in the rush portion with those two guys. But teams know that, and so they're just attacking the underneath coverage. And there's so many times where these zones get stretched out. We're seeing the Goff was able to get out some quick throws on some third downs where it was just a 12-yard pass, 13-yard pass. And it wasn't anything super special, but it was just wide open and not challenged. And that is probably what's driving O'Connell crazy. And certainly every Vikings fan who is watching it. One more thing about Hunter I want to mention too. Um, Panay Sewell and him. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lopsided matchup. Star tight end, Panay Sewell. Yeah, star tight end. <laughs> I can't believe that. Third and eight. Anyway, um, Dan- Danielle Hunter has had four hurries in 34 quote unquote true pass rush sets against Panay Sewell according to pro football focus in the two matchups this year, zero hits, zero sacks, just four hurries and 34 setups in those true pass rush sets sets, excuse me, just mean that he's kind of going against him one-on-one or maybe a, a double with a little bit of help. It's not a play action bootleg, or it's not something yeah. that kind of takes him out of the play. So when he has those opportunities, he's, he's not producing against Panay Sewell. No. And then I guess the, the so the, the counter question then is, how do you? What do you do going forward? Do you do you hope that you start to get better pressure with those four? Try to start doing some more things up front, or do you, like Con, like O'Connell suggests, like do you start dialing up? You know, maybe a little bit more pressure, a little bit more timely pressure, and hope that that can kind of get to a quarterback fast enough and force some force some throws, force some incompletions to make it so that you know, even if you're going to give up, if you're already giving up splash plays, rushing for you, might as well probably take a few chances because then at least you have the chance to maybe, you know, create a turnover or, or get, you know, get one of those sacks that'll put you in a long down and distance and maybe get you off the field. Yeah. They might as well kind of transition to that kind of havoc defense that you see some people play. It reminds me of like Arizona, Arizona is that kind of, we're just going to send everybody. And if we give up something, we're just going to keep sending everybody and we'll change the game that way. But that's certainly not how the Vikings want to play it. Not how Donatel wants to play it anyway. And I, I think there's got to be a, a happy middle ground there. The issue is they start, started blitzing more the last couple of weeks, right? Blitz more against Mike White. They did blitz more against Goff. Both times they've gotten beat. And both times they haven't generated much pressure. Both times it was easily deciphered by the opposing offensive line and protection and picked up. And when you look at the flip side for the Vikings offense, without Garrett Bradbury in there, um, they were getting blitzed up and down and giving up pressure left and right. And so you see the the difference when these things are easily diagnosed and picked up and when they're not and the Vikings without their center couldn't do it. And the lions had absolutely no problem doing it against the Vikings blitzes. So if they're going to do it, they got to find a way to be good at it, productive at it. Otherwise you're just wasting guys in coverage that you desperately need. And what is that to you? Is that bringing it from different places? Is it disguising it in a, in a certain way or sending somebody late? Like how do you, how do you more effectively blitz and not give away what you're doing? Well, I mean, some of it's practice, right? Like we, we've talked about this before, about how under Mike Zimmer, you had guys who had years of experience next to each other, years of experience in a playbook, years of blitzes on film where it wasn't like, hey, we had these 
X amount of packages in and we've showed them already throughout our eight games. And now we don't have counters built into them because we're not running this back through a second OTAs. We're putting another layer in another training camp in of this extra stuff. They have a very basic blitz scheme. Um, you, I heard Jeremiah Searles, the former Viking offensive lineman talk, I think it was on social media about that saying, it, you know, when we were going up against Mike Zimmer, you didn't know where it was coming from because sure. we've seen it all from this guy. And under Ed Donatel and these Vikings, it seems like they don't have many tools and answers to go to with those schemes. It's either Chandon Sullivan or Brian Osamoa off the edge, or they're roving around uh, Zadarius Smith or something like that. Um, the double A gap stuff's not there with Kendricks and Hicks. Those are often just simulated fake pressures. Uh, Hicks even talked about that a couple weeks ago where he said, we got to actually send these to, to keep offenses honest because right. they're not believing us when we're going up to the line and then they're just easily getting the ball out to somebody else. Um, so I think the issues are with the fact that this is a first-year defense, a first-year playbook, and one that doesn't predicate itself on blitzes to begin with. And so how do you start doing that more and doing it better? Um, you're going to have to start drawing up some stuff in the sand and coming up with stuff that teams have not seen yet in 2022 well final thought on that then is you know are we in schism territory with o'connell and donatel i mean he seems like he's running the kind of defense he's always run and it has to be the defense that o'connell kind of knew he was going to run does he just want some kind of tweaks to what's going on or is he just is is there a problem with just the the overall level of aggressiveness that he you know he's maybe he's maybe there's a deeper concern there well, yeah, I mean, okay, this is Kevin O'Connell's job, right? He's the head yeah. guy. It needs to be done the way he wants it done. And Kevin has talked about wanting ownership and being very involved in that defense. So when he talks about wanting to bring more pressure or create pressure, however they do it, I see this going back to the drawing board with these veteran coaches and, and divvying up some of these responsibilities and trying to figure out how who's got the ideas to make this work, because right now they have not come up with them, especially throughout this last month. Um, I wouldn't call it a schism at this point. Okay. Because they're 10 and three. Yes. If they were three and 10, Oof. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or even, winning... seven and, even seven and six or six and yeah. seven. Like they've won enough to kind of mask some of these deficiencies to this point. Exactly. Winning covers up a lot of the stuff. You can kind of, you know, uh, patch the plane as it's flying. But, you know, it's it seems like it's coming down a little bit right now. At least that's what it feels like. Indeed. Well, we've never seen a head coach who um, emphasizes one side of the ball, uh, struggle with the coordinator on the other side of the ball in any sort of time in Vikings history. So I'm sure this will be smooth sailing from uh, from here on out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No no coordinator searches have no. ever been handled. No, by we've the never Vikings seen one of those. Never seen one of those. Well, <laughs> we'll see you again, Andrew, uh, next week after the uh, Saturday game against Indianapolis. A good chance for them to get healthy again for all, the, all to feel right with the world. They probably clinch next week because the Colts are not very good. But again, these problems go deeper and they're going to, you know, whoever they end up playing likely in the playoffs, uh, this this will be an issue that keeps coming up until it doesn't. It will not be the Indianapolis Colts that they no. face in the playoffs. It, it might will not be, be the Colts, no. It might be, be the Detroit Lions. That would be shocking. All right, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> thanks, Mike. And I think the biggest thing here, the biggest takeaway for me, and uh, good stuff from Andrew as always, is that the Vikings just on defense, and I've expressed this a few different times during this year, don't seem like they're very hard to play against. Um, it looks like you know teams know exactly how to carve them up, and if they're patient enough to take the uh, to take the ten or twelve yard gains, and then understand where they can take their shot plays, they are they are going to be able to beat the Vikings more often than not. 
And when they're not getting turnovers like they were earlier in this year, and that's something O'Connell talked about, um, when they're not getting turnovers, that defense is exposed even more. So they got to figure this out. I don't know what the answer is. I do know the answer. Um, if, if I know what, I know what one answer might be if they if this keeps going, and that's 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 the thing that that uh, that O'Connell said he wouldn't do, which is take play calling away from Ed Donatel. Um, I think at a certain point that might be something you have to do if this continues, and I'm almost at that point already right now, if not there already. But um, if they can't get this figured out, if they can't get this turned around against a pretty mediocre Colts offense coming up here, against a mediocre Giants offense coming up here, you know they've got some they've got some opportunities down the stretch to turn this around going into the playoffs. If they can't, I mean they're not going to do a whole schematic overhaul like O'Connell is saying, but they've got to be able to do something. To, to feel like they are heading in the right direction going into the playoffs. The Vikings game on Sunday was not poetry in motion for much of it anyway, um, but um, we do have poetry right now. My good friend Keith Rashad joins me every Tuesday for some Vikings poetry, some Vikus, haiku of Vikings form. You guys all know that by now if you've listened enough times. Um, sir, how are you? I'm all right, I guess, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know how you're supposed to feel after that game, but it felt very familiar. It felt, it felt very familiar, didn't it? Even though it didn't feel familiar to this year. Uh, yes, it was in a word predictable. It was. Um, well, in in uh, in five seven five, uh, give me that first. Uh, give me that first mm-hmm. vaiku. Okay, vaiku number one. The Vikings defense bad, like an old '90s song. Hey, Macarena. What made you think of the Macarena? It was a bad song. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad song, but I don't know where you. I don't know how your brain got from that Vikings game to the Macarena. I'm just saying that the defense was bad. It's and, been bad. It's been and bad. Something that we've had to watch over and over and over again. And that same experience was like living through the '90s when the Macarena was popular. And you had to listen to that song over and over and over again if you were on MTV back when they did right. the music and or or if you were listening to the radio, whatever the case may be, right? It was ubiquitous. You could not get away from it. It it stuck in your head. It was forever cemented in front of you, much in the same way that this defense and how awful it is is stuck in your head and you cannot escape it. And And even though there are other good things in the world, there still is the Macarena. There still is the Macarena making a Macarena of us. Um, there was a group. Was there a group dance to that? That was a, that was a, that was a stretch. You, Sorry. You were, yeah. You worked you know, it in there. I tried to get it in there and just move right on from it. Yeah. But you're going to pull me back into the, into the pond. Wasn't there a group dance to it? Was there like a, there was like a dance that you could do to the Macarena? I, I steadfastly tried to avoid, but I think you're right. I think I, there was. But, and, and by the way, for the seven people who continue to listen to this segment, right? Counting we'll get done with uh, Counting get done with Andrew Kramer, or is it Ben Gessling? You it's Andrew. On, so Andrew's on okay. Tuesdays. Yeah. So when the people who are actually interested in Vikings football, it, who still somehow listen to this, right? People love it. You don't. You don't. Yeah. You're you're underrating your own <laughs> appearance, but okay. <laughs> anyway, um, what's I going to say about? Oh yeah, it, it, please, please. For you seven who are still listening, do not bother to write in and tell us if 
there was a dance that went with it. We I don't need know. to know that information. <clears throat> I do want to know. Please write to me. Just express written to me. And I if 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 I get correspondence on that, I will not share it with you like I do the other the other emails that we get about our segment, including those about syllables. Um okay. Uh but yeah, it was bad. It was it's been bad. So the fifth week in a row, they've given up at least four hundred yards. Now they've won three of those games. Um largely because they've made enough offensive plays or they've made enough kind of clutch plays, but it it is concerning. And Andrew, spent, Andrew and I spent a lot of time on that already, kind of talking about the lack of the pass rush, just how they're giving up a lot of big plays and they're not getting any, you know, even, though even when they're not blitzing, they're giving up big plays because they can't really get a pass rush. Um, I don't know what the answer is to fix it, but, uh, you know, and the schedule is getting a little bit easier. I mean, Detroit seemed like it was an easy part of the schedule, but Detroit's better. Um, Indianapolis is not better. They they should clinch the division next week and go on from there. But it's, it's concerning big picture because they're going to face some teams by the time they get to the playoffs that uh, can expose a lot of these weaknesses. Well, we know what's going to happen in the playoffs. We're all aware, again, we're here for a good time, not for yes. a long time. <laughs> and you don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. I know what the answer is not. Right. And I think that's the current leadership of the defense, who is somebody who has been in position for some really uh, not good things happening to the defensive yeah. side of the football. He was the, the Packers coordinator when they uh, gave up the what was fourth and 26, fourth and 26 yeah. to, to the Eagles, to Freddie Mitchell. It was Freddie Mitchell, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, he was the he was the defense coordinator of the last 10 win team. That was an underdog to a, a sub 500 team uh, and and to lose, right? When uh, he was D coordinator of the Falcons or something like that, right? He has not been somebody who has inspired a lot of conference, uh, conference, a lot of confidence. Uh, so I'm guessing we're watching a dead man walking here in, in Ed Donatel. Yeah. And like I said to Andrew, we've never seen a schism between a head coach and a coordinator here. It's just the uh, the other way around, uh, as opposed to the Zimmer offensive coordinator uh, love hate relationship. Usually, hate. Okay, uh, it reminds Mike, me of the great uh, um, quote ahead. about the schism. Yeah, from uh, oh, uh, Ring Honor guy Jared Allen. You remember what he said about schism? No. Right? Huh. There was a talk in the in the locker room about how there's a schism. I think it was was it. Uh, Brad Childress. That was the Childress era, yeah. Right. So the, he's talking about how there was a, somebody asked him about how there was a schism in the locker room between yeah. uh, Brad Childress and he's like, it's schism. I, I I didn't even know what that was. I thought it was a venereal disease. I was like, whoa, <laughs> we, we, practice, we practice abstinence up in these parts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so like, Jared Allen, he's, he was a beauty. He, he was, was he, and a good he enjoyed, he enjoyed sacking the quarterback. That's yes, for sure. which they're which they're not doing enough of right now. Full circle. Okay, Vaiku too. Okay. The offensive line mm. played like they were afflicted with bitten kneecaps. Yeah. You, you love the Dan Campbell uh, kneecap bites. You you you, re, you return to that trope um more than uh, more than once, but it's it's a worthy trope. And well, I mean they're they're miss they were missing Christian Darasaw, they're missing Garrett Bradbury, and you can um, argue about the latter and how much they really would have missed that in past years, but you know Darisaw still a, a big a big absence. It sounds like both those guys should be back soon, maybe even next week. And that was you know that was part of what went into Sunday is that you know three guys who were kind of on the questionable side and probably would have played or at least I think at least Harrison Smith and 
Bradbury would have played if this was a playoff game. Um, you know, Derisaw with the concussions, I think you definitely have to be very, very cautious with with that. But they kind of made some decisions that are more geared towards the long term than they were geared towards beating the Lions on Sunday. Well, that speaks right to Vaiku number three. So well, let me get right let's to do it. it. Okay. The Vikes would have won without a sore neck and head. Derisaw and Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's probably true, or at least Harrison Smith has been playing really well yes. this year. I thought yes. that he was a candidate for me at the beginning of the year to be kind of fallen off the table. Guys get to that age. You know, he's in his, what, this is his 11th season. He was drafted in 2012. He's been playing at a very high level, but you can see guys like that start to experience a little slippage. But he and Patrick Peterson have been their two of their very best defensive players this year. And Smith in particular has been very impressive to me. He was all over the screen um, in that Jets game, just making play after play, um, you know, an interception, uh, you know, pass breakups, runs, run support, things like that. Um, when they don't have him, that uh, that that secondary, which is already exposed, uh, gets uh, gets it gets even worse. Well, and we called the we we said at the very beginning of this that it was a predictable loss, and and that leans toward the, the sort of history of the Vikings of underperforming. But I think you're absolutely right. They've made some calculated decisions in terms of how they want to handle the rest of the season, and and it's inevitable that you're probably going to have something of a letdown anyway when you're in this position, right? You're, they're winning the division. Yeah, they're not losing the rest of the games. No. The Lions are not winning the rest of their games, right? They are winning this yes. division. They will be playing a home playoff game, so now they're making some decisions that uh, are looking towards the playoffs. And when you don't have Harrison Smith, who you're exactly right, is playing amazing football this season in his fifty third year of fifty third year NFL football, right? It, you were not going to win that game without him. And that offensive line was just terrible. Terrible. They couldn't uh, run. Couldn't no, run at all. It was, it was, it was embarrassing. And and even if you are going to call your little fake play, please, Dalvin Cook, don't dance for two seconds. <laughs> don't do your little shimmy, your little, your little wannabe gritty or whatever it is. You know, just jump and throw the ball to the open guy. And and the the defensive line for the Lions was in the backfield the whole time. It was just a disaster. It is amazing what Kirk did in this yeah. particular game. Yeah, Kirk was great in that game. And it was, yes. that was kind of lost in the shuffle. Like he put up a huge game and, you know, and it wasn't just it wasn't garbage time. It was, you know, legitimate rallies where he got them within a touchdown a couple times. They just couldn't ever get the ball back to try to, you know, be in position to tie the game because the defense was so bad. Yes, it was, it was ugh. yuck, ugh. yuck. I say, um, all right, uh, Vaiku four. Let's finish this one up. Okay, give the gritty man the benefit of the doubt. It was a touchdown. It was a touchdown. I mean, the, in the problem with plays like that is when you blow it dead, you can't keep going. So these guys, these guys have to be absolutely sure when they're blowing a play dead. And I think the Vikings might've benefited from one of those earlier in the year, if I'm not mistaken, where a guy didn't. We're not remembering that. We're not remembering that. <laughs> I think they did though. Anyway, uh, but yes, um, it was, he was in bounds. He never stepped out of bounds. It, it, you can see why it, it maybe looked like he did, but he did that masterful, you know, only on the, you know, only on the tiptoes. So he didn't put his heel down out of bounds and he was not out of bounds. They scored anyway. 
So it was a little bit, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, 1,500 receiving yards already this year in uh, in 13 games. That seems like a lot. He's having a pretty good season. Well, the first thing I want to note is that my six-year-old son is, has started calling Justin Jefferson the gritty man, obviously, like for it. obvious reasons. Uh-huh. And so I... I that's going to become his new nickname on this podcast okay. because I intend on manifesting that into something. I feel like that's that's fair, right? And and my my six year old son is putting this out into the world, and and we are all going to embrace it. But <laughs> that guy is just every week. There's something he does that's yeah. just utterly astounding. And it wasn't his fault. It wasn't Kirk's fault. Uh, he he was just amazing, and and I think that you got to let your superstars be superstars, and you got to let greatness be great. So why are you blowing that play, Dad? I don't know. You can always you can always rule it out of bounds after the fact. Just don't blow it dead. Like you, can, there's only one thing that you can change there. You can come back and mark it out. You can't let him have the touchdown after the fact because you blow the whistle and everybody stops playing. Right. It's, it's just ludicrous. But I don't know. The gritty man will survive. Life goes on. Let's hope so. And again, this team is 10 and 3. We're uh, we're not splitting hairs here. We're talking about a real problem, but we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, a lot of these things were issues even when they were winning. They they became magnified in that Detroit game, but this is still a team that's 10 and 3, still a team that's found a way to win a lot of these games if they can improve on defense. You know, not even like wholesale changes, you know, something just slightly more than marginally to to where you feel a little bit better about it. This is still a team that can have some success you know, the rest of this season and beyond into the postseason. But they've got to get this figured out. If they're going to go against a good offense in the postseason at some point, they've got to get this figured out in some way or else, like I said, it is going to be a quick exit. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Wild beat the Oilers 2-1. to That is a team on the upswing. Good game from Marc-Andre Fleury in that one. Um, it's kind of interesting to watch the ebbs and flows of that season, but uh, but impressive that they were able to get that one. Feels like they are, like I said, on the upswing right now. And uh, so, you know, good uh, good for the Wild, good in that regard. And the Gophers volleyball program has a new head coach, Keegan Cook, formerly of University of Washington, named the successor to Hugh McCutcheon, 37 years old, got a five-year contract, was the head coach with Washington for eight seasons, four Pac-12 titles, four trips to the Elite Eight, reached the Final Four in 2020. That was uh, quite a that's, a, that's a pretty good hire for the Gophers. We'll see. If he is able to follow in these in these steps of success laid laid out by Hugh McCutcheon and Mike Hebert before him, uh, but uh, this this is an, this is a serious hire by the Gophers by by uh, you know by by this program, and uh, it feels like the direction of this team will continue to be on a you know on an elite trajectory, and that'll do it for me today. Plenty of these other topics will be in play again on Wednesday when I welcome Lavelle E. Neal the third onto the show. Want to get his twins' thoughts. Want to get some Wolves thoughts, some Vikings thoughts from Lavelle, so I hope you will enjoy that on Wednesday. Have a great rest of your day. Back at it again tomorrow.